Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. The baseball playoffs are still rolling on, so we decided it's time to bring the baseball beat back. Will Schneider and Anthony Sorbonne will both be here. We'll recap the state of the playoffs right now. Looks like the Washington Nationals are moving on to the World Series, which is recorded on Tuesday. They're up 3-0 on the Cardinals. Yankees-Astros, going to be close. 1-1 entering game 3 on Tuesday. We'll discuss all that fun stuff as well. Will Schneiderham will also be sticking around and do the NFL picks for week number 7 in Show Me the Money. Another good week last week, went 2-1, and one, so I'll look to keep the good times rolling again as we do more picks. Stay tuned to the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill where I offer a look at my problem with the overrunning of certain commercials. I have to get my soapboxer made, so bear with me at the end of the show in the two-minute drill. But we'll get along with this week's opening tip, where we talk about the return of Sam Darnold to the Jets right after this. Omaha Take the belt and go deep. Anderson's out there. This is going to go the distance. 92 yards. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. That call is her courtesy of CBS's Jim Nance, which was the turning point of the Jets' first win of the season against the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. Sam Darnold throwing a 92-yard touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson. Boy, it feels good to have Sam Darnold back. The Jets actually looked like a competent football team. How about that? The previous few weeks, they were just miserable. They didn't look like they blew in the league. Luke Falk couldn't get out of his own way. Trevor Simeon breaks his ankle against the Browns. But Jets cannot move the football. And you knew it was going to be different right from the jump because the Jets lose the toss. The Cowboys defer. They give the ball to the Jets first. Even though they don't score points on that drive, the first play of the game, Sam Darnold throws an 18-yard pass to Demarius Thomas. And you're like, okay, we might have a good day today. Things might look up today because this looks like a professional quarterback. And that was exactly what happened for the Jets. Sam Darnold on the day, 23-32, 338 yards, two touchdowns, including that bomb to Robbie Anderson, one pick. And the game swung on that sequence, on that sequence, because right before that play, the Cowboys went for it on fourth and goal. The Jets stopped them. Very next play, 92 yards, Darnold to Anderson, goes from possibly the Cowboys taking the lead to 14-3 Jets. And the Jets go here. And they build a 21-6 lead at the half. Dallas does cut 21-15 in the fourth quarter. But Darnold, again, big drive. Leaves the Jets down the field. They kick a field goal. Brings the margin to eight. Why is that so important? Because the Cowboys, at the end of the game, go down. They score the touchdown. And they need the two for the win. And they can't get it because Jamal Adams breaks through on the blitz. Hits Dak Prescott as he throws. The, the ball falls short Jason Witten. Jets get the onside. Jets win the game. And before we get to the rest of this game, I want to touch on the flags for one second because to get into this game with the flags was absurd. The officiating of the NFL is an absolute joke. They're incompetent. They're throwing flags for no reason. A lot of these calls are just phantom calls. And you're watching the tape and you're like, what did these guys see? There was a sequence on that last Cowboy drive where the refs threw flags on six straight plays. Four on the Jets, including three phantom pass interference calls, and two on the Cowboys and blocked the back in a hole and turned a first and goal to a first and 27, basically. That's incredibly incompetent, and you cannot have it 
where the league is letting these refs take the game in their own hands and throwing flags for no reason whatsoever. Even Jim Nance during the game is saying, can we have a play without a flag, please? Seriously, let them play football. And last night's game with the uh, Lions and Packers was not good for that refs in that regard, but I am terrified what the league will look like with these incompetent officials ruining games. But that's a discussion for another day. A lot of positives with the Jets here. Number one, the Jet defense. They got pressure on Dak Prescott. They hit him nine times, one sack, including the one I just mentioned where Jamal Adams comes through to break up the two-point conversion play. So I know the Cowboys without both offensive tackles in this game, which is huge, but the Jets took advantage. They hit Dak a lot. That got him off rhythm. That made it tough for the Cowboys to get anything going in the first half. Great game plan by Greg Williams, who has gotten a lot out of this defense. He's got a lot of guys like Terrell Basham and Kyle Phillips and Fodakazi. All these guys who you've never heard of before, Neville Hewitt, Blake Cashman, they're all playing out of their minds for him. That's great. And great job by Adam Gase, who we suspected this. He was not giving Luke Falk the full playbook. Sam Darnold had the full playbook, and the Jets looked much, much better. And one thing people forgot. People in their quest, I go most of the media with this, who were so quick to annoy Daniel Jones as the best thing since sliced bread in New York sports. People forgot that Sam Darnold's actually good. Darnold looks very crisp making decisions. He made incredible throws all throughout the game yesterday, including that wheel route to Ty Montgomery on the third down play, where he checks out of a, it looks like a deeper route he checked out of because he, he read the blitz, quickly goes to the wheel route, threads the needle to Montgomery on a throw that Luke Falk's not making. And Trevor Simeon ain't making. Darnold's making that throw. And the improv skills are fantastic, as always. That's a lot. That's a big, big positive for the Jets. Also, the offensive line, far, far better. And, I mean, he got sacked early in the game. But other than that, they kept him clean. The line sort of got a lift from the return of Darnold. And you felt better about this injury Darnold play when you saw the pregame report from Tracy Wilson where she was wearing that absurdly big padding that they have all around his stomach so he can't get hit there. That made you feel a little better. Now, I, mean, I cringed a little at the first sack, but he got back, right, back up. I'm like, okay, I think he'll be all right. Now, I know it's one game. I know the Jets have played just one game and they won it, but things could get interesting here because, yes, they get the Patriots on Monday night next week. Yes, they're probably going to lose that game. But after this Patriot game, the schedule finally lightens up for the Jets. They finally get out of murderer's row. And here's what they got coming up here. They go to the Jaguars with Gardner Minshew. They go to the hapless Dolphins. They host the Giants, who can't get out of their own way half the time. They go to the Redskins, who fought tooth and nail to get by the Dolphins. They get the Raiders at home, which is actually the toughest game in this stretch. Believe it or not, the Raiders at home is the toughest game here, which tells you a lot about the Jets' schedule coming up. They get the winless Bengals in Cincinnati, and then they get the Dolphins at home. That's a lot of football games the Jets can win right here. Especially if Sam Darnold's going to be competent. I mean, we saw that they rejoined the league yesterday. They rejoined the league on Sunday. If Sam Darnold is playing close to what he did on Sunday, they can win a lot of those football games. And they could take big leads going forward. Now, are they going to stun everybody and make the playoffs? Probably not. They dug themselves such a huge hole. But there's a little juice here. And there was not last week. Now the Jets might have something cooking. And it'll be fun to see where he goes and where the Jets go from here. It'll be a lot of fun, and I think the evolution of Sam Darnold is going to be the storyline for the Jets this season. What happens with Sam Darnold going forward, and 
if he makes that big leap from year one to year two, and if he gets there, you have a nice foundation to have a long-time winner with a franchise quarterback in hand. Because remember, he's just 22. That's scary. He's only 22 years old. Do have another 15 years with this guy, so there's a lot of time for the Jets to get this right. So hopefully this was the first sign of the right direction here for the Jets. But up next, we're going to the baseball beat. We're going to talk all about the latest in the playoffs right after this. All right, we are back on the Just End Suffering podcast. It's been a bit of a baseball kick this month with the playoffs going on. The Yankees still playing, so I figure it's, now it's a good time to bring the baseball beat back together. First, in the studio with me today is the great Anthony Sorbellini, who we last heard from in September. Anthony, how are you? Good, Mike. How are you? Doing good. And on the phone this time, first time we've had him on the phone on the podcast, Will Schneiderhand. Will, welcome. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, so in case people are not aware, we are recording on Tuesday. We're actually recording during game number three of the American League Championship Series. And Anthony, can you give us a score update so the audience will have a uh, little point of reference when we're recording? We get the little breaking news. Jose Altuve. <laughs> one nothing Astros as we are recording this podcast. Garrett Cole off to a lead. Not a good start for the Yankees, but we'll start there with them. So I'll start with you, Anthony. What's your big takeaway from the first two games of this series? It's exactly what we thought it was going to be. I mean, it's just been, other than the first game, the first game was pretty much one-sided. That was completely Yankees, but game two, I think, was exactly what this series is going to be. This series go, is going six or seven without a doubt. Yeah, Will, any big takeaways in the first two games for you? Uh, it'd be nice if the Yankees got a starter, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, almost like exactly what we they, we were all saying last year. And uh, they went out and got one, and he only went, what, three innings? So yeah. I'm not really going to – I don't know if I want to blame him. You know, it's just the way the Yankees kind of quick, quick uh, hook and so on. But I don't know. I'm just – I'm worried about the Yankees starters. I really am. Yeah, I am too, just because, I mean, game one, I know we heard from Sweeney Murray on WFN yesterday that Tanaka said he was gassed, but he's after 68 pitch when he's cruising through the game. Paxton only goes three in game two. Severino, you know, is not going to have much length in game three. And with this weather on the way, maybe being washed out tomorrow, they have to play four straight games. That's a bad break for the Yankees. That's what happens. Oh, yeah, especially cause just because they pretty much used the entire bullpen for game two. I mean, yeah, they had the, they had the off day, but still, that's going to add up because Boone went to that bullpen. I've, I know I've been saying it for God knows how long. Boone knows he's got a good pen. He goes to it early and often. We saw it in game two after pulling Paxton after I think it was two and a third. Yeah, well, I think it was the right call. Well, would you would you agree with taking him out at the time? I mean, so, like, I get it, right? I, I do quickly handle perturbed. I was kind of like, if I was a Yankee fan, I'd be mad. But, I mean, I guess I know where he's coming from. That's kind of easy. You know, that's how you do it. So, I don't know. To me, I guess I'm trying to stay neutral on it where I don't think it was that terrible because you do have that strong bullpen. But my my issue is more switching green with Ottavino than, uh, than polling Paxton. Yeah, I agree with that one. I think that was a big problem because I feel like I don't care what the numbers say. 
Chad Green is cruising through that game. And, I mean, Adam Avila has been struggling this entire postseason. You rush him in there and get up the home run to tie the game. I mean, Ed, do you have a problem with that? That's just that's just what I've been saying about about Boone ever since he's got him. He leans far too into analytics, doesn't go into what he's been seeing throughout the season. We've seen Chad Green been doing pretty much terrific and leaning on how he was performing in game two and then to swap him out for somebody who's been struggling especially at the tail end of the season and in a big spot going into extras it's i don't like seeing it yeah i just one quick so this is my thing with the green uh the green usage is like so i mean all things indicate that tomorrow's game would kind of be that like half opener go with green type mm-hmm. of thing right so like why I guess if you're going to use green, my thing is is he's already in the game. You're winning the game. Just gas them out and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Listen, I, Mickey Calloway was probably one of the you know worst Mets managers in a long time. But one thing I did think that he did well was worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Almost to a fault, obviously, mm-hmm. as Michael, Mike would say. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think, I, I think that – he was using green with the idea that he had to use him again where, I don't know, I'm just not into that. you got to get that game on the road. you got to get that. I know it's a cool thing to come back one and one, but, man, when you're up and you're, yeah, you got a guy cruising like that, use him until he's, until he's done, you know, until he's tapped out. Well, yeah, exactly. But just also think from the Yankees' perspective, too, going into this game right now, being up 2-0 instead of being tied oh, yeah. at 1. It's complete. It's a series shifter. Hands down. 100%. And the other big takeaway is this Giancarlo Stan injury. He was not in the lineup for game three day. Aaron Hicks gets his first start in a couple of months in center field. So, I mean, I wonder how long you think they're going to let him stay on the roster if he's not available. Because obviously, if you pull him, he's out for the World Series if you get that far. So, Will, what do you think about the Stan situation? Honestly, <laughs> I, again, I, I'm more neutral. I don't hate the Yankees as much as some Mets fans do. I guess it's because my family and friends aren't too terrible about it. But. I was rooting for the guy, you know. He hits the homer. He, he hits a not not like a nine to one put you up ten to one homer, like a legit big home run. And he looked relieved, and I was excited to see what this guy could do on a tear, you know, get on a tear maybe. And I'm kind of bummed out. I, I mean, I it's kind of like what David Ortiz said. It's kind of hard to ever ever really say much about an injury, but I do hope it's serious, just for the fact that. Man, I mean, I, I hope it's not one of those mental things where he's like, yeah, I'm kind of nagging, I gotta, you got to pull me. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, if it's really there and it's going to cost this potentially World Series World Series miss, I, I just hope it's actually – but I just hope it's major enough that he really can't play. Yeah, the weird thing is, too, I mean, like, there's not much season left. Not like in the middle of May where, you know, oh, you know, if he, has, mm-hmm. he pulled his quad, we can sit him out for a couple of days. Their season might be over a couple of days, so like if he's not healthy enough to play now, why is he even on the roster? And isn't he, is it a pull or was it a strain? Because I'm seeing things where it's because he said he's available to come out to play to, to play today if he needs to pinch it at bat. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't that? Uh, that's kind of where I'm kind of not to cut you off, Mike. Sorry, but it's just like that's where I get worried. It's like, man, I really hope this this guy isn't you know like oh I you know I got to go back to New York. You know they've been hard on me. What if I fail? Yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. I mean. I just really hope it's a thing where, you know, he's he's at least injured enough where it's like he can't really play. Because, again, it's bad to say, but I really just hope the injury is serious enough where he really can't play because it'd be a shame because he, he really did look like he was about to, you know, quote, unquote, earn his pinstripes. <laughs> yes, that was a thing. And now, I mean, 
we have these three games at the stadium. Obviously, it looks like the weather might affect tomorrow because mm-hmm. it's supposed to get an in, at least an inch of rain in the area tomorrow. So I doubt they're actually going to play this game. So with that in mind, I think it's going to really change the output of the series. I mean, it's not going to end New York. I'm, I'm, I'd be shocked if either team wins all three games. So going back to Houston, uh, Anthony, who do you think is going to be in the series lead? In the series lead heading back to Houston? Yeah. Whew, I think Houston is. Yeah. I think just Houston's got the momentum. They are... Houston's almost kind of playing like the expectations off of them. Yep. So everybody heading into the season was the Yankees are the team to beat, the Yankees are the team to beat, and through the, se- through the season, it's the Yankees World Series to lose. So the Astros are kind of just going in there, kind of almost slipping in under the radar, but they're not really under the radar because the star players that they have, and plus, plus they won the World Series a couple of years ago. But it's just the Yankees have such a bullseye on their back after this season that they're expected to win to where the Astros can kind of just be that sneaky type team to get into the World Series, even though they're not a dark horse. We expected them to be here completely. Yeah, I agree. Just see the fact that, like, the the rain really does screw the Yankees up with the bullpen situation because oh, yeah. they will love the bullpen as many games as they can. And if they have to go four in a row, it's a huge problem. And mm-hmm. if they don't come back today against Cole, I mean – you're, and they rain tomorrow. Basically, you're bringing Granky and Tanaka back for Game Four, and then Game Five is the kitchen sink game for both teams. So mm-hmm. there's a good chance you're down three one in the kitchen sink game. That's a problem. Yeah, I mean, especially going against Verlander. I mean, they were able to finally get some, finally build some momentum off of Verlander. I mean, even though Judge only had that two run home run, but it's still more than they were able to do off of Verlander. Yeah, let's. Yeah. Let's go to the National League side, and this has just been a complete whitewash. The St. Louis Cardinals forgot how to hit after they put up the 10 and it landed in the first inning. Nationals are a game away from the World Series, and I don't think we're going to jinx ourselves here. I think we're going to say the Nationals are going to the World Series. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it. <laughs> yeah, fair to say. <laughs> yeah, so, Will, what do you think went wrong for the Cardinals? Aside from the fact they just haven't hit a lick in this series. So, yeah, so I think the Cardinals is, is – Cardinals is – sorry. <laughs> that Obviously, they haven't they haven't hit right. I mean, that's the thing. But, I mean, my God, they just ran into a bus stop. I mean, I think we all forgot how – and, I mean, it's almost impossible for us Mets fans, right, to forget it. But, I mean, Steven Strasburg is really, really good. Max Scherzer is really, really good. And when you guys – you got pitchers going deep into games like that, and you have, you know, you, you can confidently hand anybody in that rotation the ball right now, including Anibal Sanchez. I just, I think you saw it. I think we see, and it reminded me a lot. And I've seen this cop going around now, and I do think it's fair. Is the 2015 Mets where you, you kind of, you prove yourself in a division series, almost, I mean, the exact same way, going on the road in Game Five in LA and winning slightly better Dodgers team than then, obviously. But then you just get into the, the championship series, and you're like, hell, man, we can play this game. We're confident. We can be right here. We can beat the crap out of anybody, and that's what I think <laughs> yeah. we're seeing. <laughs> yeah, one thing of note here with that 2015 Mets comparison, they swept the Cubs, and then they had no momentum by the time the World Series yeah. were on the guy, and they lost in five to the Royals. So yeah. you would think if they pull off the sweep tonight that they're be sitting around for a while waiting for that yankee Astro series to finish, yeah. and that could be a problem for them momentum-wise. Oh, definitely, definitely, and I think that's that's definitely uh, where the comp continues. And obviously, we'll see what happens in the fall classic. But yeah. <laughs> so, Anthony, I'm going to ask you this: If the national, we're going to put the Nationals through there, do you think they have a, sh- a good shot against whoever comes out of the American League? No, it's the American League's team too. It's the it's the American League's. I mean, without a doubt. <laughs> 
I don't know. There's something different with the way the American League's been made up, especially in the past couple of years when they've had the Yankees on the come up, the Red Sox when they were in in there, the Astros, the Indians. Just those four teams have been like the four-headed monster. And we've seen the American League just go out and just dis- dismantle the the National League in every World Series. Yeah, let's let's. I agree with that assessment. I feel like Nationals are hot. I do think that the the layoffs gonna hurt them. Because oh, without a doubt. Because base we've seen baseball. It's just such a streaky day to day. It's a day to day game. And if you take a pause off that momentum, no matter how hot you are, you're gonna you're gonna fall off. I honestly, that's just, I honestly think they can beat the Yankees. I, I believe that. Not to push any ball. I don't, I don't think, I don't think they will. Let me preface that. Like, really think about what I'm saying. I think they can, but I don't think they will. No, I, I agree I that think, they can. I'm yeah. not. I, Houston, I think even. I don't even, think they have a chance against Houston. Houston was no. all of them. <laughs> yeah, Houston. Houston's the more complete team. I mean, you can make the argument that the Yankees could destroy them if everybody was healthy, but oh, we sure. we can't yeah. make that argument. It's based on the teams that we got now. But Houston is just a completely different animal. They're so complete. They have the pitching. They have the hitting. They have the defense, where the Yankees just mainly have the bullpen and the offense. And the defense, to some degree. To some degree, yeah. But they don't have that complete rotation, whereas the Astros, you know, you can come out with a Verlander, a Cole. Yeah, I also want to point out the fact that Either Will or I is going to be right with our preseason World Series prediction because I had Astros Nationals, he had Yankees Nationals. One of us is going to be right. <laughs> hey, look at that! And, and who would have thought halfway through the season that the Nationals would be the would be the lock? <laughs> yeah. yeah, who would have thought that after the Mets swept them in four games at City Field back in May? <laughs> hey, the, the Mets own stock in the Nationals this year, right? Too bad they couldn't make the damn playoffs. No, the <laughs> Mets the Mets were the, one of the few teams in the league that actually beat the Nationals. No one else seems to be able to. <laughs> That's a story for another day, right? Yeah. yeah. Before we go on to the Met thing for a minute with the manager situation, I want to get a quick take from everybody. Which Game 5 loss was worse? Would you rather be a Braves fan, have your team give up 10 in the first and completely out of it, have to sit through a slow-moving slow car wreck for five hours? Or would you rather be the, National, the Dodger fan and have Clayton Kershaw implode and they give up a grand slam in 10th inning and lose? Which oh, one is worse? God. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll give you the first crack at that. <laughs> 10 runs, dude, that is, or whatever, I mean, that is terrible. The whole day, think of it, I mean, because I was thinking about this as I'm watching it. I, I was putting myself back into my shoes, into the shoes I was in when the Mets were in that game five, and just thinking how amped up I was, you know, here we go, game five, baby, we're gonna, we're gonna win this, and hey, the Mets won it, and I didn't think that was gonna happen, but they did. So then I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what if the Dodgers just blew the doors off of the Grom? I think the Grom hits game five in the first inning. I would be so angry. Like that. Listen, at least the Dodgers showed up and played, right? I mean, the Braves. It's like, did you even give yourself a chance to win that game? No, I mean that one was bad. I mean, Anthony. I mean, like literally, like you're watching that like a like literally a complete horror show. And like, oh, I remember. when they get the strikeout for the third out, the, the catcher drops the ball. The third run comes in anyway. <laughs> I mean, at that point, just after giving up a 10 spot in the first, you're just like, just get me the hell out of this inning. And, like, thank God. But the game was pretty much essentially over from that. But I'm going to go the other route because I would hate to lose on a walk-off. Just be into the game to the very end, and then you think you have the momentum, and then you just get everything just sucked out of you. That's how your season season ends. You end on just that faint – you just see the ball go over the wall, and you're just like, that's how you end it. Well, I mean, yes, they both suck in their own right, but at least 
for the for the Braves, they kind of knew like, yeah, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle coming down from ten. Yeah, I'm with I'm with on this one just because the Braves is the quick death. It's like literally they just like you get capped in the head, they, like you're, <laughs> and then it's over with. You're like, okay, we lost. Moving off my day. And the National League, it's like you're slowly like bleeding out, right. and then. Kershaw, you have the big moments. Kershaw comes in, gets the big strike out of the seventh. You're like, yeah, he's going to do it. Then he got the home runs in the eighth. You go to extras, and then Dave Rogers, for some stupid reason, keeps sticking with Joe Kelly, even though he has Kenley Jansen in the bullpen not being yeah. used. He gets up a grand slam, and then you're done. It's like this, that's brutal. Yeah, you have to just sit and sit on that decision for the whole for the whole offseason, just visions of that ball going over the wall. Uh, there's just something about I don't know. There's something about just not showing up to me with that. But I agree. I, hey, listen, it's like the lesser of two evils. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll agree or disagree on this one, but we'll wrap up baseball. Be here. We'll go to the Met manager search for a little bit because the Met search is progressing a little bit. We have six candidates who have known to have gotten in-person interviews or are getting in-person interviews. The big names right now are Joe Girardi, who every Met fan seems to want. It's like, like on Twitter, he's got like a 95% approval rating for the managerial job. The other two I seem to be the most serious are Eduardo Perez from ESPN and Carlos Beltran. So, Will, as the, as the Met fan on the panel, what do you think of the fact that Beltran's only interviewing for the Met job? Um, yeah, I'm kinda, I'm, I'll be honest. Like, I'm usually way more just pissed, or not pissed, angry, narcissistic. Like, whoever they bring in is going to be terrible, but... I'm kind of into it, and I'm into bringing Carlos back, just not for the fact that, like, he's one of my favorite Mets and probably a lot of people's favorite Mets of all time, despite obvious, the obvious uh, strikeout. But I don't know. It's something. There's something about it where, listen, if he was like this Mike McCarthy situation with the Jets where he was McCarthy, was like, I, will, I only want to coach the Jets, but it was because he wasn't getting any other offers. Like, it sounds like people are interested in Beltron enough that they want to interview him, and he's turning them down to only go for the Mets. So, I don't know. I feel like it's. I I, I have. I, I feel a little reassured knowing that like this guy, one thousand percent knows what he's getting into. He played for this ownership. He's played for this organization. He has been scrutinized through by the owners of this organization, and he's still willing to sign on to manage to further either you know right his wrongs and become the, the hero that we all want or just further dig his own grave with this with the organization. So I don't know. Hey, I, I guess there's something to it, right? Yeah. Any thoughts on Beltron? On Beltron? Uh, he's more of the like the fan, like dream wannabe. I think that the that the match should go in the direction of, of Girardi just because he, he has that stature. He has a couple World Series wins under his belt. But Beltron just—it's a lot of—it's a lot to say about Beltron that, like, what Will touched on before, after being with everything, like the heartbreak, the highs, the lows with the Mets, that he still wants to be a part of this organization. It speaks something. Yeah, I also want to throw out there another fact about Girardi. I think the interesting thing with that is also what's a great point my uh, fellow blog, Mets blogger uh, Mestradamus made on on our website recently. He pointed out that like. Not only has Girardi won in New York, he's won with the Yankees. He won for a cheap ownership group in the Marlins that one yeah. year. He won like a manager of the year with the Marlins his one year there. So he can do both yeah, extremes. No, oh, yeah. yeah, when did he win that? 06, right? With yep. like Baby, Hanley, and Miggy. I mean, listen, I, I, I want Girardi. Don't get me wrong. Beltran would be cool, but yeah, Girardi's the guy. I mean, there's no yeah. doubt about it. <laughs> the one who's intriguing me is Eduardo Perez. He's just there, came out of nowhere. Apparently, he's, according to Andy Martino on Twitter, he is the hot one of the hot guys right now, and 
I just feel like he's a case kind of like where Boom was the Yankee. He just went in the interview and blew him away, and now he's in the top three. It seems like so. Yeah, I'll be in, yeah. I'll be intrigued. Well, uh, what you're literally just took the words out of my mouth. I'm super intrigued by him. I I I feel like I'm trying to be a little bit skeptical in the past, but for some reason, how in touchy and in tune he is with the game. I mean, hey, I'm not I'm not against it. I think he is an intriguing option. For me, I think it comes down to one thing. I think you just have to hire the right person for this job, no matter who it is. Like, if you walk out of those meetings and say, you know what, Eduardo Perez is our guy, hire Eduardo Perez. Don't hire Eduardo Perez because he's going to cost less than Joe Girardi would. That's my one my one complaint here. Oh, yeah. Yep. For, for a manager, you have, to, you have to be able to mesh well between management, what he wants, what the manager wants to do with the team moving forward, where, what the game plan is. Don't. The manager is the thing I really wouldn't skimp out on just to go get somebody because, hey, he's going to be cheaper than X, Y, or Z candidate. Just like Mike, Mike, you said, like you said, just how you mesh well with everything in the organization. A tale as old as time, right, with the Mets? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, finances are always an issue with them, but it will be interesting to see where they end up going with this. I think I hope by the time I talk next week, I hope that they have something in the works, but I would not be surprised this continues to linger because they seem like they're very intent on taking their time, and to their credit, they're not letting much leak out. They're sort of keeping it in house, I like. Yeah, closer to vest. All right, that's all we're going to do on the baseball beat today. I want to thank both of you guys for being here. Anthony, since you are not hanging around for picks, you want to give out your social media handles and let everybody know what you're up to? Uh, yeah, for Twitter, it's Ant Sorbellini, A-N-T-S-O-R-B-E-L-L-I-N-I. And then Instagram is at uh, Sorbellini Photos, S-O-R-B-E-L-L-I-N-I Photos. Uh, just keeping busy, just shooting Iona Sports, shooting Columbia Sports, shooting Manhattanville Sports. Just keep, <laughs> Just keep going. Yep, and before we let you go, we were going to we'll update again just to give everybody a reminder where we are with this Yankee Astro game. So, oh. as of right now, we are still early in this baseball game. It is now two nothing Houston Astros, and you're in the top of the second. So, not a good start there for Severino. I just. Josh Reddick goes deep in the second inning, so that's where we are right now with that. But and thanks for the time today, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right, up next, Will's going to hang around. We're going to do some NFL picks and show me the money right after this. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks week number seven. Will Schneiderhand still with us to do some picks this week. Will, as everybody knows, listened to this podcast before, a big Jet fan, so... I gave my take on the Jet win over the Cowboys at the top of the show. So what was your big takeaway from that game? Um, Greg Williams can still dial him up with the dial it up with the best of them and Sam Darnold is as good as advertised. I mean, two I guess hot takes you could say, but that, I mean that that was my those are my two takeaways. That's those that was a legit football game, a legit win. Yeah, I'm I talked a lot about Darnold at the top of the show. So let's take a look at at the Greg Williams thing for me. I mean, I mentioned this briefly at the top, but what he's getting out of some of these guys, like your Blake Cashmans, your Terrell Bashams, your Neville Hewitts, like your Kyle Phillipses, like he's getting a lot out of these guys. They're playing very good defense despite having no corners. Yeah, how about Phillips, dude? He's blowing through guys. I mean, I, I, for, I couldn't I, – I thought it was Quinn and Williams for some of the day. I'll be, I'll be Quinn and had a great game. But I'm like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> and here he is, man, blowing up plays, crashing offensive line. I mean, everybody – I I was – it was insane that at one at one point, 
um, as a viewer, you were confident that the defense was going to get a stop. Because, I mean, they were they were flying around the field. And like you said, all, you kind of sit back for a minute and you're like, wait, like, there's no C.J. Mosley. There's no Avery Williamson. I mean, what, you know, <laughs> we got no cornerbacks. How the heck are they playing such good defense? Yeah, it's a great coaching job by Greg Williams there. They are one and four. There has there was some talk earlier this week. There's some stuff coming out that Joe, that, uh, Joe Douglas, the new GM, is talking about selling guys at the deadline. So, do you are you for that? And if so, who are you going to sell? Uh, I mean, I uh, I feel like I'm always open. Whenever you're on like a lead, uh, a losing team, and this goes back to being a Mets fan, like I am fine with it. it like, I'm I'm fine with trading assets to bring assets in, but. I don't really know who you're going to – I mean, who, who really are you going to sell outside of Leo? And and I guess, like, to me, I just feel like you're not going to get the value for him. And, like, I know he's down in the fan base and nobody's really, like, expecting much from him. But I, I just feel like – I feel like like he was a disruptor a little bit this past week. The guy's been on so many losing teams. Like, I just want to see what he can do despite the one year he was on, the you know, the one winning team. But I want to see what he can do the rest of this year with a little bit of energy and juice in the building. I mean, I, I, I guess, I don't know if that's a, like a good enough take, you know, maybe I'm being too soft for a guy that like, I don't really want to get rid of just yet. Albeit I am still very critical of him, but I don't know. I feel like you're not going to get any real, anything really in return for the guy. So just, just hold on to him. I think you can get something in return for him because I, Adam Schefter has tweeted there are multiple teams interested in Larry Williams. My take is this. It's like, if you're not going to bring him back, and you could do better than the third round pick that yeah. you get for the comp free agency. I would trade him. I, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Because I think they're not going to pay him fifteen million dollars a year next year. He hasn't produced enough to warrant that. So I think there's a good chance he gets traded, even if they just start turning things around a little bit. No, definitely. I mean, that's definitely fair. I, I listen. I completely agree with that too. I'm not no no qualms with that. All right. So speaking of this week, they come off this win. They finally get victory Monday. Now they get another like an extra day of relish because they play the Patriots on Monday night, the undefeated six and zero Patriots. So. Do you think they can make this interesting Monday night? <laughs> so yeah, like I definitely, I actually think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna head over to the stadium and go. And uh, the last time uh, I went to a Jets pass game, the, the Jets actually won at home. But I, I don't think they're gonna win. I mean, I don't even think this might be like a three. You know, when the Pats, you know, need out, it would probably be like a, maybe a seven to ten point game. But as far as making it interesting, I definitely feel like, I mean, it, it's almost unfair to say no. Like, like. It's not going to be Luke Falk getting his butt kicked, and you know, like it was a few weeks ago. I think, I, you know, I think Darnold can keep him in it. I think we're going to see a, a lot more from Le'Veon. You know, it, it, there's a lot of intriguing matchups, and, and 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 I think Greg Williams can at least, you know, if he can create that pressure that he did last week against a really good offensive. I mean, offensive line. I know that two guys are banged up, and you know, maybe this this week. You know, get some heat on Brady, shut down that running game, and then and, and see what happens. You know. Yeah, I think the key to this whole game is that CJ Mosley is back and ready to play. Because if he, is, I think he takes that defense to another level, like we saw in Week One when I was on the field against Buffalo. Because if he's there making plays, I think they have a chance to steal it. But until then, I can't. You can't really make a determination. But I feel like they will be in the football game. That's my gut. Definitely, definitely. All right, let's go to the picks. So we'll reset where we are. My good buddy Will Smith was here last week. He did not have a very good week. He went zero and three. He had the Eagles plus three. They got their doors blown off by the Vikings. Stephon Diggs, I think, is still running free in the secondary for a touchdown. <laughs> you had the Cowboys laying seven and a half against the Jets. We know what happened there. 
And he took the LA Chargers by seven and a half. And the Chargers are becoming the kryptonite of team challenges. They lost, they blew it again to the Steelers. So I think that's three out of four losses for teams picking the Chargers in the uh, challenger side. And I went to one on the week. I had the Saints plus one and a half in Jacksonville. No offense to our friend Sandra Rosa. They were not going to beat the Saints that game. I took them and got that right. I took the Miami Dolphins getting three and a half points. I got the backdoor cover there thanks to Fitzmagic and them going for two. And I lost the Chiefs laying five and a half against the uh, Houston Texans. They ended up losing that game outright. So on the year, the challengers are only, I want to say, they're only 8-10, and 10, so not a good start for the Challengers. I'm actually a red-hot 14-4, so the Challengers have some work to do. Will, you are up first this week, so where are you going with your first pick? Um, so I'm going to go kind of a route you went. I'm going to pick the uh, New Orleans Saints. <laughs> um, Saints on the road against the Bears. Um, I, I don't even think the Bears are going to score a touchdown. <laughs> Um, Teddy Bridgewater's done well. They're going to, you know, at plus three and a half, I think they're going to win that game by touchdown. And uh, Teddy Bridgewater's going to get another big win, and we'll see if Drew, if Drew Brees comes back. So, yeah, Saints at Bears, plus three and a half, getting the win on the road. Um, I like that. I like that pick, by the way, because you found my strategy of going on the Saints banner because Vegas hates the Saints. They've been underdogs or very small favorites the past couple of weeks, and they just keep proving Vegas wrong every single week. I mean, it's astonishing for a team that has a good enough defense they control the clock. Bridgewater's really not putting the ball in danger too often. I just and, and that Bears team is just one win away from folding. <laughs> um, yeah. Where are you going with pick two? <laughs> so pick two, again, kind of going uh, that Eagles route. So I got the Cowboys at home getting the win by. Uh, I think they're going to win this game by seven, seven to ten. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I just. I, the Eagles are literally going into the same exact game they did last week. Minnesota, power run team with an iffy quarterback, but also a quarterback that can have big games at any given moment with a defense that's still top 10 in the NFL. Um, so I just, I don't know what's going to change in a week where maybe Amari Cooper doesn't play, but even then, I think Gallup can torch him. Zeke can have a big game. I think that defense is going to be pissed off if they lost to the Jets on the road. So Cowboys get the win, uh, minus the at home. Uh, I just I think the I don't think the Eagles are good at all defensively. <laughs> that division as a whole is not very good. The Giants are a game out. And they've been a miserable team most of the year. So I mean, the NFC East is going to be one of those years where like, nine wins wins the division. Yep, it kind of feels like that every year, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. Let's go to your last pick, pick number three. Where are you going here? All right, again, kind of sticking with the same theme that you kind of went with. Uh, so I'm going to take the Chiefs on the road. I think this is a short week. I think it's on Thursday night football against Denver. Um, Denver's just not – I mean, they lost Bradley Chubb. Joe Flacco stinks. They're not going to score a lot of points. Um, I know there's concern about Mahomes and his ankle, but I think get him some rehab, get him some time off his feet, really take care of that ankle. I think they're going to go on the on the road. Again, back-to-back home losses, that's not going to sit well with Andy Reid, not with the former MVP Mahomes. So I think they might go into Denver and blow him out. Yeah, that's a good pick there. The one concern I have is the chief run defense is very bad. And Denver has two good running backs in Royce Freeman and Phillip Lindsay. So that would be the one way Denver keeps it close. But I think the Chiefs are going to yep. be very angry. They could very well win that game. Yep. So, yeah, there it is. All right, those are your picks. Pick number one, I annoyed Sandra Rosa earlier. I'm going with her team this time, though. I've taken the Jags, laying the three and a half in Cincinnati against the Bengals. And the Bengals are an awful football team. My goodness. <laughs> I mean, 
they gave up. Do you know how many rushing yards they gave up last week? Well, didn't, didn't Lamar have like 150 on his own? Yeah, they ran for <laughs> 269 as a team last week. The Bengals yeah. gave up 184 and a half on the ground a game. That's a good recipe for the Jags. I like the run with Leonard Fournette and company. So it's a manageable number on the road. I think the Jag defense is good, and I think they're going to go in there and going to beat the Bengals up. So give me the Jags plus minus three and a half pick number one. Uh, yeah, no, I like uh, I like that pick because I think that the Jags, yeah, no, they're like power run team. Their offense is kind of built off that run game, and uh, I, I, I would I would enjoy Leonard Fournette's uh, big fantasy day. So I'm going to side with you there. <laughs> All right, pick number two. I'm going back to my usual strategy of picking against the Miami Dolphins. I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills, laying 16 and a half points at home against Miami. I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to do this one so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Bills. I mean, they have a very good defense. They are four and one. They're coming off the bye weeks. They're well rested and refreshed. And the Dolphins are terrible. They have been so bad. They have played three games this year with massive spreads and could not cover any of them. The Bills on at home with their defense laying all those points. The Dolphins might score just three or six in this game. I think the Bills are going to end up winning this game like 27-3. to three. So give me the Bills laying the 16-and-a-half, pick number two. How many do you think the, you think the Dolphins will have more turnovers and points scored? I think they'll score three. I think they might turn over twice, but I don't think they're going to be a lot of three and outs in that game. That's my guess. All right, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> Pick number three. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is here. I'm taking the Jets and the 10 points on Monday Night Football against the Patriots. I mean, what we saw in the Jets this week was a much more competitive effort than we had the previous two weeks without uh, with Luke Falk at quarterback. And the Patriots end of this game, they are banged up. They have issues in the offensive line. They have a lot of injuries at the receiver position and the tight end position. And they are a little vulnerable. Are I saying the Jets are going to win this game? No, I'm not saying that. I think that 10 number is very big, though, and very generous. And I feel like... There's a good chance this game is close down the stretch, especially if CJ Mosley's back. So give me the Jets and the 10 points at home for pick number three on Monday night. That, I like that. I do like that. I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't think the, the, the pass offense isn't, isn't clicking well enough for me to be like, oh, 20-point blowout. So definitely. All right. So to reset the picks week, Will has gone with the Chiefs laying four and a half in Denver on Thursday night football. The Cowboys laying three on Sunday night football at home against the Eagles. And the Saints plus three and a half in Chicago against the Bears. I have gone with the Jaguars laying three and a half in Cincinnati against the hapless Bengals. The Bills laying 16 and a half at home against the winless Dolphins. And the Jets plus 10 at home against the Patriots this week. And those are your picks for this edition of Show Me the Money. And next week, we have a new voice for just showing the money this, this week. Ian Sachs is going to be on doing the picks next week. Nice, nice. like that. Get Ian in on, here. In on the podcast fun. Yeah, Ian's been on before. He did a little Met Meyer League talk. Me now we're gonna do some NFL picks. That's gonna be a fun spot. He's a Patriot fan, so a new perspective onto this segment. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so either Ian's be laughing at me for taking the Jets, or I'm gonna be laughing at him that the Jets won the game. So that's let's get fun next week. Oh yeah, all good, all good. <laughs> all right, and before I let you go, I'll get your social media handles so people know how to follow you and what you're up to. Yeah, so <clears throat> at Will, S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R-H-1 on Twitter. And honestly, right now, I haven't been pumping out too much for fan sighted. I'm, I'm interning with the Brooklyn Nets, so it's kind of time-consuming on that end. Season's about to start, so uh going to be a fun year out in Brooklyn with the Nets, with, with Kyrie. So I'm excited to get that going and see, see, see what launches off from that. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. And one last thing. Have you ever been annoyed by a commercial playing over and over and over again? 
Uh, yeah, can I? How about the Baker Mayfield progressive commercials? That's a <laughs> that's a good one, and that that's the topic I'm going to address in the two minute drill right after this. Sir Jeremy, you are a true friend of the crown. Dilly dilly. 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 Here's to the friends you can always count on. All right, we are back with this two minute drill. You guys heard one of the classic Bud Light Dilly Dilly commercials, and that's the topic of my two-minute rant this week. Just my issues with the oversaturation of these great commercials, because this stuck out to me because there are a lot of creative folks out there. They make creative ads. You see them first time, they're great. You're laughing. You remember that it's a Bud Light ad or a Pepsi ad or whatever ad you want to call it. You see it, it's fantastic, we get excited, we laugh, we talk about it on Twitter, we move on. But the problem I have is that, especially in sporting events, these ads just get overplayed to death. And by the time you see it for the 15th time in three days, you're sick of it. It drives me nuts. Here's a good example for you. If you've been following the LD playoffs on Fox Sports and TBS, check out, you've seen this commercial for sure, of this Supercuts ad, let me play it for you. Loser shaves his head? Deal. Congratulations. You're both losers of my respect. If I had hair like yours, I wouldn't gamble it. Now I'd take it to a supercut stylist who would obsess over every precious follicle until I looked amazing. Then I'd find a swimming pool. I'd dive in and come up and do that little hair flip thing, you know? Refreshing. Yeah. Miss that. Yeah, that ad features uh, actor Michael Kelly, famously known for his uh, follicle challenges and one of the stars of House of Cards on Netflix. That ad, the first time I saw it, I was on the floor laughing because Michael Kelly plays it so deadpan, just no passion at all, just completely like this perfect tone of it. It was just a riot, but then I see it every two innings in the baseball game. I see it in the next baseball game every two innings. I get the problem here. I get that these are paid spots. I get that Supercuts is paying a lot of money to have their their viewers see these ads during playoff games. And I get that not everybody is sitting there watching the game live. You got people who are streaming the game. You got people who are you know watching for a couple innings and they go out. You got people watching at the bar and not really paying attention. I get that the rationale of Let's play it every couple innings so people are aware of it. And maybe if Joe sees it in the first inning, Tim sees it in the third inning, Joe and Tim both have seen it at this point. The issue for me is this, is that for the loyal watchers of sports or anything who are going to be seeing this over and over and over again, why can't we just spread out a little longer and stretch out a little more? That way... The great commercials not burn out after a week of playoffs or a week of football season. I mean, it's annoying. It really is. I mean, do I have to see the same Supercuts ad again and again and again and again to span about two hours? Really? We can't make another variation of this ad? We can't be more creative with how we strategically place our, our advertisers in these games or shows? It's just frustrating because... Whoever makes the ads doesn't really buy into the idea of the law of diminishing marginal returns, which is an economic concept. Basically, states that the more you get of something, 
the less satisfying it is on further occasions. So, example, let's say you like donuts. You get a donut, like, on a Tuesday, and the donut tastes delicious. Then you get it again on Wednesday. Slightly less delicious. By the time you, if you get the donut every day for a week, by the time next Tuesday rolls around, you're sick of the donut because of the law of diminishing marginal returns. This is the same way with these commercials because the first time you see it, you think it's hilarious. By the, about the third or fourth time, you know all the words. And by the seventh time, you're like, get this off my screen. I'm sick of seeing Michael Kelly's face. Just a word of thought out there for future advertising executives. I know none of you are going to listen to this podcast, but please space out your ads a little bit. Give them a chance to breathe and become iconic through appropriate amounts of usage. Please, I don't want to see Michael Kelly's great ad just be ruined because it keeps getting played to death and stuff like that. Please, guys, a little bit of discretion. That's all I ask. So that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guests, Will Schneiderhand and Anthony Sorbellini, for coming by to do the baseball beat, and in Will's case, all sticking around to do the NFL picks. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including my take on the woes of the referees in the NFL, the problem the league has with its officiating right now, check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher, as well as Spotify, actually. I forgot about them. Sorry about that, guys. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms, and you will find all of the episodes there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings in order to help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with hashtag diminishing returns made at the end of this week's show. Next week, we can talk a little basketball. The NBA season is finally creeping up on us. We'll do an NBA preview, talk some World Series, do more NFL picks, a bunch of other stuff as well. Until then, I'll be a better week than Cowboys fans. Yeah.